Phoenix Tales is a community celebrating everyday women overcoming extraordinary challenges in their lives, discovering the fire within and like the phoenix enduring the ashes to rise again. Each of you has a phoenix tale or a phoenix moment. As we create this community of women with grace and grit, share your own phoenix tale or your own phoenix moment on our website. We're honored to hear another story to welcome another phoenix. Today's guest is Yolanda Cologne, an executive in the finance industry. She tells us how the tragic stillborn death of her son taught her about her own strength to endure, but more importantly, to survive. These hard-earned lessons helped her as she faced a more recent loss, the abrupt ending of her 24-year marriage. With humor, insight, and grit, hear how she overcame both of these immense challenges. Please welcome Yolanda Cologne. Welcome, Yoli, to Phoenix Tales. I always start the conversation off by asking one question, and that question is, has there been an event in your life, professional or personal, that might have redirected the course of your life? Yes. Having a stillborn son 21 years ago, the recent abrupt ending of my 24-year marriage, which by far challenged me in many ways. So let's go back to the first inflection point that you mentioned, the stillborn death of your child. Can you talk about the reverberations of that in your marriage, but also as a parent? As a parent, I had to accept the decision that my son was not ready for my life, for this life. I was entering my ninth month of pregnancy and my doctor was going to induce me in two weeks. So it was really at the end and I had to grieve as a parent and as a mom and, you know, accept that, you know, hard thing that happened in my life. I knew that I wanted to be a mom. I knew that I wanted to have two children. I wanted one of them to be a girl and I had that. So right after uh, Will died, I got pregnant right away four months later and had my second daughter. Wow. So... When you think about, and I know their doctors don't really know the cause of a stillborn death. Were you able to find out anything? Yes, absolutely. It was an umbilical cord accident. That little baby was rocking and rolling inside of me and just got twisted up. His anatomy, he was perfect. He was a beautiful, beautiful boy. He just wasn't meant for this life. I accepted that. Did you actually give birth? I gave birth. We uh, had him cremated and spread his ashes on our favorite beach on Martha's Vineyard, and where I swim with him every single year. How are you able to pick yourself up after that? It was hard because don't forget, after that, your body thinks it has a baby. So the milk is forming in your breast. It, the hormones are rapidly coursing in, in your body. It was incredibly, you know, sad postpartum because, you know, we go through nine months of pregnancy and we get a beautiful gift at the end. And I left the hospital without a gift. And that was really, really, really gut-wrenching and difficult for me. So I I do want to ask this, and it might sound really loaded, but did you want to kind of hide this tragedy from the world in some way? No, that is not my intention. That was not my intention at all. 
Oh, but there's some shame. Right, right. Can I just rephrase the question? So I think there is a bit of shame attached to it, but also maybe a sense of, for women, this idea of giving birth is validation of our womanhood, right? When something happens during that process, like it doesn't affect our husbands in quite the same way that women experience it, right? We feel it as it's a failure on our part. Right. So was that part of the process of you perhaps not sharing with the entire world that this had happened to you? No, because I know that I did everything in my power to nourish and love this baby. What happened had nothing to do with me. So I was very, in an odd way, I experienced grace in that moment. And ultimately, I had to be a mom. But, you know, hey, life is going to throw you curveballs. So I had to grieve the loss of my son in the same way that I had to grieve the recent abrupt ending of my marriage. And when I went through the death of my son, I said to myself, I can just do anything after this. And, you know, I ran a marathon. I mean, it really makes But the death of my marriage was a very, very, very close second because I had to grieve the death of both of those events. Can we just go back to the de- death of your son, Will? And I want to sort of pull the thread to see if you can kind of look back and see how it informed you as a mother with your two daughters. I mean, did it make you more protective? Did it make you feel a certain sense of what I hear from you is this kind of understanding that sometimes life happens, right? And we don't have control over certain events. And there can be a great, and I think you use the word grace, but I think also a certain amount of peace when you're not fighting against the unknown, right? Correct. Absolutely. And how much of this story did you share with your daughters as they were growing up? At the time, uh, the women that I work with, we had an on-site daycare center at my company, which every company in America should have. Yes, agreed. (laughs) It was amazing. What an amazing experience. And the moms, you know, that Gabby went there since she was three months old or four months old. And they all got together and planted a tree in my backyard in honor of Will. And we lived in that home for 22 years. And it is no accident that when we finally sold that home um, last year during the pandemic, Will's tree was the biggest and the strongest tree in the backyard. And we had trees planted almost at the same time. And Will's tree outgrew all the other trees. So in saying goodbye to my home and getting it ready for the new owners, there were two things that I had to really sit with. And that was Will's tree. So your daughters were well aware of the fact that they possibly could have had a baby brother or a brother. Do you feel as though probably for your, well, two things, for your older daughter, the sense of loss she must have experienced even though she was very young. And then perhaps for your younger daughter, the sense of having to carry a torch in a way, right? A certain burden because she was in a sense, the gift that replaced the loss, right? Yes, yes, yes. And so do you feel like the two of them carrying these sort of different weights of responsibility or emotional sort of, I don't want to call it baggage, but just, you know, a sense of emotional duty has informed them 
individually and also inform them between themselves in terms of the relationships or the relationship that they develop with one another? Yes. We told them when they were in, you know, middle school, high school. And when Gabby was very young, she was, you know, 19 months. And I had really was cognizant about something called survivor's guilt because she was so young. She really didn't know. And Jules, I have great respect for her because I'm a believer that children sort of float around and they pick their parents. And Jules fought to be in our family for some reason. And she wanted Gabby to be her sister. And those two sisters, they're, they're so solid and, and they love each other so much and care for each other and respect each other. And it's completely gratifying for me to witness their growth. I mean, right now they are my greatest teachers. That's wonderful when children become teachers to their parents. And then as far as you talked about, you had to grieve, right? Were you able to share that grief with your husband? Yes, we did that together. Our entire family was very supportive. It was a dark, dark page in my life. But like I said, something that I accepted and I was able to move on. But to me, it was the hormonal experience after that because my body thought that I had a baby. It's just sort of anti-nature. Yeah. And it's hard to get your head around something that is not supposed to happen, right? Exactly. So Will's due date was in August, I think August 17, and Jules was August 15. Will's death, which was July 20th, Jules the following year on July 20th, I was really going out of my mind. And my doctor finally gave me a cell phone number, call me anytime, you'll be fine. But just, I had to relive that same date with another baby in my will. That part was difficult too. So you were like holding your breath, thinking, what if this happens again, right? Right. And drinking orange juice to make sure that she was moving. I did have a bo- out-of-body experience. When I went in for just a regular checkup at my 36-week phase, and my doctor could not hear a heartbeat. Literally, I saw my body just stand up from the table and turn around and look at me. Wow. Yeah. So I know that pregnancy can bring up a lot of stuff. And a lot of it has to be has to do around fear and what you experience is any mother's worst nightmare, right? That there's always in the back of someone's head. I know when I was pregnant that you're always holding your breath on some level. Yes. So how are you able to after having gone through that tragedy of everybody's worst nightmare? How are you able to squelch that fear with your third pregnancy. I mean, I, I would have been consumed by it. I, I, I think that I would have had to find spiritual guides everywhere in order for me not to be having a complete nervous breakdown. So can you tell us a little bit about what moments or, or the ways in which you kind of dealt with that? I got pregnant and then I decided to transfer my energy to my new baby. I had faith in my baby. I wanted to just be with her and just keep it moving and just move forward and just revel in this pregnancy. We all agreed, my doctors and I agreed for me to be induced at 37 weeks and one day. So 37 weeks is full term. And I had an amniel done at 37 weeks. Her lungs were fully developed and we scheduled an induction at 37 weeks and one day 
because I just couldn't make it anymore. I just couldn't do it anymore. She was perfectly healthy and we went home the next day. She was great. So you also mentioned the sudden collapse of your, I think you said 27-year marriage. 24. 24-year marriage. So I would imagine that the grieving process is slightly different, although it is both a death, right? You experience the death of your newborn son, but you're now experiencing the death of, you know, your whole life, right? And the things that you held fast to and the ideas for the future that you probably had about yourself in connection to the marriage. So how has that grieving process been for you? And more importantly, where are you in that process? One day, divorce landed on my plate. I didn't plan for it. I did not agree with it. But I knew I had to accept it and make some decisions. The first decision was to hire a divorce lawyer. And (laughs) I'm sure there are going to be women out there taking notes. (laughs) And from your listeners who are in Connecticut, I have a really good one. (laughs) And the second decision I had to make was to seek therapy, which was at the recommendation of each of my young adult daughters. For the first time, they saw my vulnerability. It was the first time they saw me fall apart. I fell apart and I became relatable. And it was good for them to see that because I believe vulnerability is courage. And at the end of the day, my daughters don't need me to save them. They need to see me save myself and thrive. That is the biggest lesson. You said, where am I on this? It was a traumatic experience. Because the discard was so brutal and the pain was so gut-wrenching, I could not have done it without my lawyer. I am happily divorced. I am taking active steps to live the life that I want to live. I am happy because I get to use my voice. I mean, case in point, I am doing your podcast. I am telling my story, right? Mm -hmm. I've always had a voice, but I was not empowered to use it 100% of the time. Now I am. I'm happy because I've taken my power back. No one can take your power away from you. I let that happen. I've forgiven myself and it won't happen again. I'm happy because I get to have an unencumbered, direct relationship with each of my young adult daughters where I am free to express my feelings, my ideas, and share my opinions with them. They don't always want to hear my opinions, but I'm free to share them. And I'm also happy because I've decided to go back to my given name. There is incredible beauty and power in that. This is another lesson that I've learned is we all hold down to the fantasy life, the should haves. What could I have done differently? And the fact of the matter is nothing. No one can go back and change anything. We can only change what happens in the future. So Did I ever, ever dream that I would be divorced? No one goes into the marriage saying that you'll be divorced, but here I am, right? I had to make some decisions, therapy. And what I've also learned is out of this huge trauma is to let go of my ego, letting go of the should-haves, right? The fantasy life and enter the as-is, surrender to the grace of the moment. Of course, all of this is easier said than done, But I've done tremendous inner work, and now I trust my journey. Divorce is hard. No, marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. I know. Which one? It's so funny. A very dear friend who was also going through a distressing divorce 
told me once, when you're going through a divorce, there'll be some days that you want to put a gun in your mouth. And then there's the really bad days. That is how bad it is. Well, let's go back to, um, you said that when the rug was kind of pulled out from underneath you and your 24-year marriage came to an abrupt end, you sought therapy based on the suggestion of your two grown daughters. During that process, I'm assuming that you didn't actually go through therapy when you lost Will. No. Well, I went to the grieving, to the uh, bereavement groups. Uh, right. But you didn't do therapy, right? I not, no. So during this process, were you able to also kind of extrapolate the grief that you've experienced and probably have held on to on some level during this new phase of confronting this different loss? No, I think because that first loss was so long ago, and we were talking 21 years, and you know, I have two grown beautiful daughters and which I've raised and, and I'm fulfilled by that experience. So one did not have to do anything with the other. They were, yes, both grieving opportunities and both traumatic experiences, but different. But what I've learned, I've learned two things right away in therapy, in my marriage, I felt that I wasn't enough. but I was. I was enough. And I am enough. And I will always be enough. I think one item that both instances have in common is pain. And what I've learned about pain is that I can feel it and survive. That is where the healing begins. Then I can use the pain to become alive because to be alive, there has to be a death, right? Right. So you're basically saying you have to allow yourself to sit in the pain. Yes. As opposed to avoiding the pain. Absolutely. Because then you're not healing. Pain is the fuel of evolution, of living a life that is truer and more beautiful. And this is where I am today. Were there any road signs in your marriage that would have given you, I mean, if you look back, right, were there road signs that you might have not noticed, perhaps, that could have given you a clue as to the fact that, you know, the marriage would end at this point? Well, you know, there was no perfect marriage. I was not happy, but happy. And I came to the realization, well, I guess this is my marriage. It wasn't until I began telling my story to my girlfriends and my therapist, listening to me telling my story out loud, that I realized that I was really living in toxicity. And when I look back and I think I allowed that to happen, I think the best answer that I have is that it happened because I was in a trance. I was trying my best to make it work and be enough. But now I'm awake and the best thing I can do is stay awake, learn the lesson and forgive myself for being human. I mean, it's interesting because most people find it hard to forgive themselves. I found it easy because you know why? I will never leave me. And I am the most important person to forgive. Can you tell us, because you said something really interesting. So you were unhappy, but you were also happy. So what were the two aspects? Like, what was it that you were unhappy about? And what were the things that you were happy about? Because for me, if I were sitting in a marriage where I was unhappy, and believe me, there have been periods in my marriage where I was very unhappy, that I don't know if I had the capacity to discern 
the two in that way. When our marriage was bad, it was bad. Like I couldn't tell you what any aspect of my life was happy at that moment. What were the things that you were unhappy about, but what were the things that you were happy about? And how were you able to make that distinction for yourself in the marriage? I think I was happy that I had this, you know, beautiful family and that, you know, we gave our girls sort of everything, not, you know, great education and and support and beautiful moments that we shared in the kitchen. All of that growing up made me happy. But I think what made me unhappy, and this happens to many, many women, is that while we are being the loyal and faithful wife, and while we're being the chronic caretaker trying to keep our family together, our families together, we abandon ourselves. And I think that's where the unhappiness was for me, not being empowered 100% to use my voice. That made me unhappy. And do you think that if you had found your voice or if you had been able to not lose yourself, that that could have changed the outcome of your marriage? Yes, I believe it could have. Yes. Interesting. I do think that sometimes women lose sight of themselves in a marriage. And I think it's this with this notion that if we do everything for the family and our husbands, that that will keep the marriage alive, right? That that will actually help the marriage. What you're saying and what I've always believed is that it's the absolute opposite, that the more the women lose their sense of self, the less interest the husbands have in their own wives. That is absolutely right. And now I've become the queen of boundaries, right? How important is it to have boundaries in a healthy relationship? Well, it's impossible to do, but can you tell us how you are, how you're figuring that out for yourself? Yes, absolutely. Because, you know, boundaries are not meant to offend anyone. They are meant to respect our feelings because every woman deserves peace and safety. People that have not seen boundaries from me before will take some time to adjust. But the most important thing is to enforce the boundary. They are easy to set, but harder to enforce because what do women do all the time, right? They feel bad that the other person is hurt because you set a boundary. And then what happens? We remove the boundary, right? And it gets us into trouble. So I set the boundary, I enforce it. And this is another thing that I've learned. Just to be done. Don't be mad. Don't be annoyed. Don't be bothered. Just be done and move on. So can you go back to your marriage and talk about what boundaries would you have set or what boundaries did you not set? I guess the reason I'm asking is I'm trying to get to you're you're kind of hitting upon a really important point that I think a lot of women need to hear. Right. Which is this idea of self-preservation not being viewed as, as I always say, self-indulgence or selfishness, right? That self-preservation is what actually will keep the marriage more alive. It will actually keep your husbands more engaged to be with you because they see you as a fully formed individual separate of themselves. Absolutely. And what is that called? That is called authenticity. And that is the goal. This is Yoli's Island, right? And there's a moat around my island that has alligators. 
And then there's the mainland. So I will only lower my drawbridge for people that love and support me. Other than that, you're swimming with the alligators. So are you implying that you didn't feel that love and support in your marriage? That is correct. Ah, wow. So how do you deal with that? I mean, because that's fine if the marriage had been like two years, right? Like you could kind of write it off and be like, all right, that was a two-year mistake, right? I'll give myself a pass on that one. But 24 years is, you know, half of your life. So how have you come to terms with that? It's sort of like the analogy, you can't see the label from inside the bottle. So I was inside the bottle for 24 years. I didn't, you know, I was sort of in it and I just couldn't see outside of it. No one can change the past. There is a reason why the rear rear mirror in the car is smaller than the windshield. You really can't focus on the rear. The windshield, when you're moving forward, your future is brighter. Your future is grander. Your future is in abundance. And the rear rear mirror is tiny. So this chapter of my life is called Make Room for Lightness. Make Room for Abundance. Make room for what is meant for me with ease and flow. It doesn't have to be complicated. How did you not allow this to completely destroy your self-worth, right? Because basically what you're saying is you were in a 24-year marriage and you did not feel loved and supported entirely, right? So when you're talking about you're a true phoenix because that is, you know, that is a true death. But how did you not allow that to completely destroy your sense of self? I think it just has to do with, I will never leave me. Like, I am badass women. You are one of them. We're not raised in comfort. We are made of stuff that should have broken us, but did it. We are not formed with ease and grace. We are made of fire and storms. And I think the fire and storms for me is what gives me energy. It is very rare to meet a strong woman with an easy pass. It just doesn't make sense. So a lot of people out there who may have experienced divorce or is facing a challenge right now, if you could give them one advice, what would that advice be? If I were to give one advice for women going through divorce is to form new habits and patterns. Ah, what does that look like? This is awesome. So the good thing about habits and patterns is that they can be broken. I moved from a very traditional home in a beautiful rolling wood setting to a modern high-rise building by the water in a hipster neighborhood. It is a total opposite of what my environment was. So new habits, thoughts, behaviors will take you to the next version of yourself. So I recommend changing it up. I recommend grading everything if possible, because growing is one of the hardest things to do, but staying the same hurts so much more. And remember to breathe, right? This is just a chapter. It is not your entire story. So I'm going to ask a question as we get towards the end. It's really interesting because you're you're so um, self-aware, and I think you always have been. And what you're describing about, you know, taking back your power. Yep. So I'm going to ask you a question that's going to seem very loaded. So if you knew and you were in this unhappy marriage, why did you not take your power back and end the marriage yourself? 
I just didn't know how. I think it was the whole, when I mentioned that I was in a trance, I wasn't awake. I was asleep. I was in a trance. You're amazing. I love you. Um, all right. So I'm going to get to the last question and I'm changing it up because I know people have been listening and so they're preparing their answers ahead of time, which is yeah. really right. So if you could go back in time and sit down with one person, fictional or real, who would that person be and why? Maya Angelou. If I can quote her, this is one of her quotes that I love and so appropriate to where I am now. She says, and I'm going to sort of make sure that I get it right. My mission in life is not merely to survive, but to thrive and to do so with some passion, some compassion, some humor, and some style. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Phoenix Tales, a show about women overcoming challenges and like the Phoenix to be reborn, their lives reimagined. Make sure to tune in to our next episode to hear another inspired story. I am Yuliana Kim Grant. The show is edited by Podigy. Music is by Ryan Pruitt. It's like a dream, so let me never wake up. I was so hung up on myself, just like a stick in the mud. A little time, a little patience when I got tired of waiting. Then I found that gem within me sticking out of the mud. And they go ask me why I do it. I'm going to say this because we going to be the best on earth just like we be out in rust. Pass behind me like a book bag, hanging down a coat rack. Focused on the future, not that could or should or would have. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave your comments on the platform where you get your podcasts. If you think you have a Phoenix tale, please send us a note on our Instagram and Facebook pages. If you just want to stay connected to Phoenix Tales, once again, you can go on to our Instagram and Facebook pages to get all the latest updates.